Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You got to have empathy and really sit down and try and understand it from everyone's point of view. One of the books that really resonates with me, I actually read it after this particular deal, but I found it very helpful in understanding the mechanisms by which I was working was actually Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity, and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action 
for more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Nick Giulioni. How you doing, Nick? I am doing so well. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's my pleasure, and I'm glad you're doing well. A little bit about Nick. He's got three years of real estate experience, but get this. He's got a 48-door portfolio consisting of single-family duplexes and triplexes in Indianapolis. He's based in San Francisco, though, so we're going to talk about that. He works full-time in e-commerce sales for large tech companies. So with that being said, Nick, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. I have been extremely, extremely lucky over the last several years. I got into my first investment down in Southern California. Actually, it was a house hack that my wife and I bought just about two weeks after we got married. If that didn't prove that we could make it, nothing will. And since then, I've really invested myself into learning more and more about out-of-state investing, built an incredible network out in Indianapolis, and done a variety of different strategies, including portfolio acquisitions and seller financing to balloon my portfolio in that time and really be able to give back a little bit more. Portfolio acquisitions and seller financing. It sounds like you've got a couple tricks up your sleeve for how you've gotten the 48 units in three years versus plodding along doing one deal of a single family house at a time. So let's get to the good stuff. Portfolio acquisitions and seller financing. Talk to us about maybe a specific example for each of them. I'll tell you a little bit about kind of a combination that I did. It's my most recent large deal I've done. And it was actually a 32 unit deal that was on the market for about $2.2 million. I looked at it, really realized there was no way for me to be able to take it down and went and negotiated with the seller a little bit, negotiated down to a price that I thought was a little bit more fair in the 2.15 range, was able to bring a partner in to come buy six of those doors on their own through traditional financing and have the seller actually seller finance the entire rest of the acquisition just to myself over the course of 20 years. Okay. Let's unpack that. Let me make sure I'm writing that down correctly. 32 unit door. It was originally listed for, you say 2.2? 2.2 million. Yeah. 2.2. You then said, no, 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 I don't want 2.2. I want 2.15. So a decrease of approximately $50,000 because you said it was about that. You said the range. Yeah. So you now have a interested seller at 2.15, but do you have the money to purchase that? So this is actually an interesting one. I had no money. Uh, You had no money. So you did not have any money to purchase anything, (laughs) (laughs) let alone a $2.15 million property. So then you brought in a partner. That partner purchased six of those. And then the remaining units were seller financed over 20 years. Yeah, that's correct. So really what I did is I sat down and I tried to have empathy for everybody involved. I kind of sat down and looked at it from everybody's shoes. And so this seller was in a position where he probably didn't want to vacate the units, individually sell them, deal with all of the hassle associated with that. So he wanted a single transaction in order to get it all done. Then I looked at it from my partner's point of view. They were looking for a great deal. They weren't looking for as much leverage or as much risk as I necessarily was. So they just wanted to buy something below market value and add it to their portfolio. And for me, I 
wanted as many doors and, and <laughs> as much cash flow as I could possibly get. So really, I just kind of had to look at it from all sides. And from the seller's perspective, my partner coming in with traditional financing, that actually looked like cash to pay off their outstanding notes. So in all of this, I was able to piece something that, that was pretty darn special together. Got it. So was it two separate transactions or was it? Yeah. It was two separate transactions contingent upon one another. Okay. Did they both close on the same day or they or the did same week? Okay. They, they closed on the exact same day. It was actually one of the smarter moves I've made recently. I actually had it close on the second of the month. And by doing that, I actually received a check at closing for prorated rents and taxes and, and all that stuff. So I actually got a check of $30,000 to take down all of these doors, mm -hmm. about $1.6 <laughs> million of property. Right. You say 1.16? No, 1.6. 1.6. Got it. So it was what, like $550,000 for those six units? Yeah. My partner brought in about five hundred fifty. Five hundred and fifty thousand. And he paid all cash for those six units? They did use cash off of a HELOC of an existing okay. property they had. Got it. And when we say partner... Is this person in the seller finance deal with you as well? Nope. Completely separate transactions. Okay. So when we say partner, it's really he bought his thing, you bought your thing, and then you went about your separate ways. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Props to you on this. The seller financing terms, can you talk to us about that? You mentioned those over 20 years, but any other details? Absolutely. It is a 20-year amortization, 20-year term. So I don't have to worry about it over that period. The rate was actually on the higher side at 6%, but this was actually about nine, 10 months ago. I've actually gone to the seller since then and asked if they would be willing to renegotiate those terms given <laughs> where current market conditions are. Now, things have gotten a little wonkier here in the last couple of days, but generally rates are in the low fours to five. And I have actually gone back to them and we are currently negotiating a refinance to change that to over 30 years and a 5% rate. Okay. And what is their position where they were amenable to doing this type of structure? You said they wanted the ease of transaction, but can you talk a little bit more about why they would do this? Yeah, for them, they needed to move out of the Indianapolis area and they had been self-managing for years and were really just looking to retire. So from their perspective, this looked like a continued passive income. Mm -hmm. It meant that they didn't have to necessarily pay capital gains all at once across their entire portfolio that they had spent decades putting together. And it was an easy transition for them. And they knew that at some point there was a decent chance I may end up refinancing and they could get cashed out or they may just carry it to term. Okay. And approximately how old are the sellers? They're on the older side. This was definitely a retirement play for them. Okay. So 50s, 60s, 70s? I, I would say in the late 60s. Late 60s. Okay. And the property, I think I picked up on that based on what you just said, that these units are spread out over Indianapolis, but will you elaborate? I might be misinterpreting it. No, these were actually all very close to each other. They're in a neighborhood called Irvington. Definitely one that's on the upswing quite a bit. It's been appreciating quite well for me. It's an area I've loved for actually a long time. And this just happened to fall in my lap. So it was pretty convenient from that perspective. So actually several of them are on the same block. So there's mm -hmm. this one block in, in Irvington that basically I own the entire thing. 
on both sides. The gentleman who used a HELOC to get the six units for about $550,000, how did he choose the six units that he chose? That was a lot of horse trading going on throughout Mm -hmm. the entire situation and making sure that there was enough equity within the pieces without putting me into a negative equity situation. So it really just came down to, hey, where do we think these are all worth? Let's figure out how to build some equity for you on the buy because I'm getting so much value with the 100% seller financing. Okay. So during that horse trading, what are some lessons that you learned or some observations that you had as a result of those conversations? A lot of people haven't been in that type of situation with this type of structure. I probably could have been a little bit harder and been a better advocate for myself. I was just feeling so lucky that this whole thing was working out, that, uh, <laughs> that I wasn't being too tough or anything. At the end of the day, I was trying to be fair to everybody involved, and I felt like I was getting one heck of a deal, no matter what happened. So for me, trying to make my partner happy and get them across the finish line was my top priority. But there were several ways I could have probably improved it for myself and gotten a property that I would have preferred, but in the grand scheme of things, a small price to pay. So doing some quick math, and correct me if I'm wrong, but $550,000 for six units is 91000 a door. Yep. And the difference is 26 units remaining. And that is a $1.6 million all-in price, which is $61,000 and $500 a door. Mm-hmm. So your per unit cost is significantly less than what his per unit cost is in a similar area. So what am I missing where it sounds like you got a really good deal because you're paying much less per unit? That's a great question. I definitely took on some of the lower end properties that needed a little more work and thus invested since then to kind of get them up to my expectations. I also took on more of the multifamilies. There were quite a few duplexes and triplexes in this. And the per unit on those were significantly lower where my partner was more interested in the single family space. Okay, got it. And where does the money come from to rehab the the ones that need help? So I was being a little flippant when I said I didn't have any money to to invest. I actually uh, did. And at that point I had 20 doors, give or take. So I was essentially using cash flow to do it. And like you talked about, I am extremely lucky to work in e-commerce sales and I'm able to throw that W-2 in there. Mm -hmm. My wife and I live well below our means and are trying to accelerate this as quickly as humanly possible. You live in San Francisco. Are you from Indianapolis? I am not from Indianapolis. I do have family out there. I just listened to way too many podcasts early on and found out that Indianapolis was a pretty strong market and opted to lean in there. Why'd you pick Indianapolis? Variety of reasons why I like it. Number one, it's affordable. And when I was starting out, I definitely had less capital to work with. So that was a good starting point. It cash flows fairly effectively. The 1% rule tends to work on almost every deal there, assuming you're not in like a super A-class neighborhood. And in the grand scheme of things, it's actually a pretty cool city. I know a lot of people probably that are are listening here haven't actually been there, but it's a darn cool place to go hang out. And if I get to go see family and I get to make money on it, it's a win in my book. How'd you find the deal? This particular deal, I actually came to me from a seller's agent who I had worked with in the past on a different portfolio acquisition and actually had come to the table with a, a relatively similar transaction style. So this agent knew, hey, Nick's a creative guy. Even if he doesn't have the money, he'll figure out a way to to get it done and bring some partners into the equation. So she actually brought it to me off market. Hmm. And how did you initially have that relationship with her again? We had done a 13 unit deal together about a year earlier and had come up with a similar type of arrangement. 
And she had found my buyer's agent at that point. And honestly, it was just kind of luck and happenstance that that first transaction actually occurred. And then the second one followed just given my reputation at that point. What deal have you lost money on? Oh yeah. My second deal in Indianapolis. Gosh, that one still hurts. <laughs> I had done one awesome triplex deal with this new hungry agent and had done very well with it, trusted him. And uh, he said, Hey, this duplex is a slam dunk. Go for it. He gave me some estimates. Turns out that he didn't really inform me that he was representing both sides of that deal. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting into the house after investing about 50% more than his rehab budget and just looking around and sitting there in tears. And actually that's where I met next you, agent. You, liter- you literally cried? Yeah, I was literally crying in the place and realizing I could never let somebody live here. So that's when I called my new buyer's agent who I'd had brief interactions with. And I said, hey, we're listing this one. And I think I lost about $5,000. And I got to tell you, best education I possibly could have had was that $5,000 because learn a variety of things and how to build a more effective network, how to make sure that you have different parties that are watching your backs that are not related. It was a very cheap education as compared to a lot of it out there. And when to cut your losses. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually we closed on that house. I believe it was the day before Christmas Eve. It's the best Christmas present I possibly could ask for that year. And definitely I sent the guy because the guy was moving in actually on that day, sent and made sure that he had a Christmas tree delivered on his mm-hmm. front porch when he got there. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. So the real estate agent was representing both sides, didn't disclose it or wasn't announcing it very transparently if it was disclosed somewhere. Yeah. But from a number standpoint, regardless of if he was repping both sides, it still boils down to the numbers and yeah. if the deal makes sense. So what about your process have you changed in order to validate the numbers? I'm no longer trusting agents to give me any <laughs> estimates of rehab. That certainly has changed. Or at least if I do trust their initial estimates, I'm always making sure that prior to closing and prior to my inspection window closing, I always have one of my contractors go through and check it out and actually give me at least a little bit more detailed scope of work. So that's definitely an important lesson in that one. On top of that, I will oftentimes now have my property manager check out the house, check out the area prior to that inspection window closing, making sure that they're comfortable actually representing in that particular area and just kind of validating, making sure that there's a certain amount of accountability. The agent obviously wants to make the sale. That's how they make their commission. But then you have to make sure everybody else along the chain is holding that individual accountable for what they say. I'd love to learn about your process when you come across a deal and how you verify the deal is a good one, knowing that you don't live in that city. So let's just pretend, or maybe even use an example, the last deal you closed on, you heard about it, then what took place to say, yep, I'm definitely making XYZ offer. My most recent is a condo. I've purchased it from a buddy of mine who's actually a wholesaler. I think he's an incredible, incredible guy. Really like him. We've been friends now for, gosh, about a year. But I got to tell you, I wasn't going to trust his numbers without (laughs) having them validated. So he's a wholesaler. I had him actually walk out there with my inspector. My inspector, I paid for it and go through this house and kind of put together, hey, these are the challenges with the house. Had then my contractor who wasn't able to get in there prior to closing, had him actually look at the inspection report and put together a scope of work based on that. And to be honest, the repairs that I would want to do were slightly above where my buddy's estimates were. And that's okay because the two of us chatted it through and made sure the numbers made sense because this is one that I'm hoping to burr and then do short-term rentals on. It's an incredible, incredible condo. 
but just had to make sure that he understood that the $5,000 estimate wasn't where it was probably going to come in. It was probably going to come in closer to 10 to 11 in that range and just make sure the numbers made sense on those new criteria. What's been a surprise that you've come across that we haven't talked about while purchasing these properties? Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges that I've faced that have been surprising. I'll tell you the most recent of which, and I apologize, I got to be a little more vague than I'd like to. I recently had a property manager go out of business pretty immediately. And unfortunately, there was no warning and there were no funds to get my security deposits back, get my rents, anything like that. So currently we're exploring options with insurance and stuff like that to get it fixed. But this happened actually right before this last Christmas and having to scramble there on the 18th of December to find new property management for not just my properties, which obviously was tough, but trying to protect all the other investors out there who were affected. That was definitely a challenge I hadn't accounted for. And you don't build that into your pro forma. <laughs> that's, that's not something that exists in, in any of those bigger pockets calculators. <laughs> How are you notified that they're closing the doors? I was informed by one of the employees and validated it with a different employee that the funds were no longer there and that the company was shutting down. Oh, wow. And besides insurance options, are there also legal options that are being considered? They're definitely being considered. I think at the end of the day, nobody wants to end up in court. So I think finding the insurance option is probably everyone's best bet. But what type of insurance would cover a property manager disappearing in the middle of the night? It would potentially be called errors and omissions insurance. All agents should have that insurance. And I'm learning a whole lot more about this currently. <laughs> more than you wanted to. <laughs> way more than I wanted to. So maybe that's a follow-up call. Uh, once uh, <laughs> once I, I've seen this whole thing through, you and I can talk a little bit more about what it looks like on the other side. What's the most profitable deal that you've got so far? I got to tell you that one I was telling you earlier about the big seller finance deal where I was mm -hmm. able to get 26 units. That thing's been absolutely incredible. From a high level, I actually don't really cash flow on it all that effectively. Given how highly leveraged I am and being at 6% interest rate, it cash flows a couple hundred dollars. But if we really look at the total internal rate of return on that one, I have no money in the deal. I actually got paid. I have negative money in the deal. What I about the renovation though? I thought oh, you were renovating money. Yeah, you're right. I, I probably invested about $50,000. So all in. Well, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of money. You're right. That's a lot of money, but I got a check for 30000 at closing. So right. let's consider that $20,000 invested, which again is real money. But then my monthly pay down just on my loan by itself is in the range of $5,000 at this point. And I'm still getting a couple hundred dollars of cash flow. On top of that, the houses have actually appreciated and I believe will continue to appreciate even in these kinds of crazy times. So I would say that for $20,000 locked in a deal, mm -hmm. I'm certainly making out like a bandit in that one. Heck, I think I've paid for it just in the loan pay down in the last couple months. Props to you for putting that deal together and having the creativity and the resourcefulness to get it done by bringing in the partner to buy cash and then doing seller financing. Based on your experience, for someone who is wanting to educate themselves about portfolio acquisitions and seller financing, what's your best advice ever to that person? I think I said it earlier, but you got to have empathy and really sit down and try and understand it from everyone's point of view. One of the books that really resonates with me, I actually read it after this particular deal, but I found it very helpful in understanding the mechanisms by which I was working was actually Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Mm. It's one of the best books I've read. I probably reread it every quarter or so just to remind myself there's so many tactics that are just absolutely incredible. 
And it's not necessarily just about portfolio acquisitions. It's about negotiating in general and having empathy for those you're working with. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I was so ready. All right. Well, then let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read besides Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss? Man, tough one. Definitely love to read. I try and read at least a book every single week and write up a book report. So I got to say the most recent one that I've really enjoyed was The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Well, you can't just slip in there. You write a book report about books that you read and then me not ask a follow-up question. (laughs) What is the outline for the book report that you write? I actually just kind of freeform it as I go and try and find what the most important points are and just net them out for myself. I read so much and I'm trying to learn so much that it's easy to forget things. So if I'm able to just kind of go back and quickly reference the key points, I actually send this out to a couple of friends that hold me accountable, but that's just the general approach is just get a couple of key points so that I can remember what was actually important everything I read. Do they send you their notes on books they read? You know, not as many as I should be getting. I should be giving them a much harder time. <laughs> but it's understood that this group of friends or this group of people exchange reports on books that are read. No, I'm just the weird one that actually you're, sends out an email blast. You're the one. Okay, yeah. got it. All right. <laughs> I'm just the weirdo overachiever. <laughs> What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we have not talked about already? In my infinite wisdom once in a portfolio acquisition that I did, it was four units. I was trying to think ahead and realized that if I got them all on individual notes from the same seller, then it would be easier to refinance versus having to refinance all of them simultaneously. What I didn't realize is that by doing that, I was actually taking up one of those 10 golden slots that you talk about when when doing conventional financing. So in my infinite wisdom of trying to make it easier to refinance, I basically screwed myself up for conventional loans moving forward. (laughs) What's best ever way you like to give back to the community? I love reaching out to people and helping people get started in real estate. My wife has started helping me with a blog, but I hop on calls with people, five to 10 different investors every single week, trying to help them get started. So that would be my way of giving back. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can reach out to me on Bigger Pockets. You can find my website at julioni.com. I hope it's in the show notes because it's got a lot of vowels and would love to help anybody who would like to reach out. Is julionirealestate.com also your website? That's correct. Yeah, they both go to the same place. Good stuff. Nick, thanks for being on the show, talking about your portfolio acquisitions and seller financing deals, how you structured it. One key thing that you do for any deal, and that's have empathy for all. One resource for practicing that, Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and getting into the numbers of the deals, which we all love. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks so much.